The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Kylie Aglias. Kylie is a PhD and an author of Family Estrangement, A Matter of Perspective. She's also a social worker, work researcher, and educator. She is a conjoint lecturer at the University of Newcastle, Australia, and has been researching the lived experience of family estrangement since 2007 and disseminating her findings through books, articles, professional workshops, public lectures, and media interviews, such as this one. She's committed to strengths-focused research, I like that phrase, that gives voice to people and topics that are generally un- heard, minimized, or misunderstood by larger society. Welcome, Kylie. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you. Um, I'm I'm especially um, glad that actually one of my listeners um, really asked that 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 I address this topic on the show. And I when I got that message. I thought, of course, of course, that's such a deep loss. I certainly have many clients that have mm-hmm. experienced estrangement of various kinds. And so I'm really glad to be able to talk about this particular type of grief today. Could could we just start with the basics? Could you um, share your understanding of family estrangement for the listeners? Uh, how that shows itself and how you define it in your research? Certainly. For me, I describe or I define family estrangement as the physical or the emotional distancing of one or more members of the family. So that can be by choice or it can be at the request or the decision of the other person. Um, I suppose before I go on any further in terms of that, today I'm actually going to be using um, terminology where I'll be talking about estrangers and estrangees and I just want to before I go further on to the definition to say that these are really artificial distinctions for the purpose of the discussion Mm. so most of us you know will receive some degree of rejection or distancing in an estranged relationship and I'd really hate to position the estrangee or the estranger's experience as more honourable or more painful than the other so you know it's important that we well, we talk about estrangers and estrangees today that, you know, we realise that those boundaries are blurry. Absolutely. Um, so getting back to our definition then, um, estrangement generally serves, you know, it reduces the conflict in a relationship, whether that re- 
conflict is overt or whether it's covert, estrangement generally puts a stop to the anxiety or the tension that's been happening between parties, often over a long period of time. It's generally characterised by, you know, a lack of trust. People don't trust each other anymore. There's a lack of emotional intimacy. Um, often people have very different values. And, of course, estrangement is also characterised by the fact that people think that, you know, resolution's highly unlikely, that there isn't going to be an end to this or it's going to, you know, it, the end is unnecessary or it's um, the reconciliation, sorry, is unnecessary or that it's impossible, it's not going to mm-hmm. happen. Uh, I, I, as I was preparing for today, I was thinking a lot about... Um, Certainly in my work, I I encounter estrangements where people really need to step back uh, and and take a break from exposing themselves to ongoing um, discord um, in order to kind of strengthen in themselves and find their own way. I encounter that a lot. And the other type of estrangement that I've uh, realized I've encountered a great deal is uh, in the LGBTQ community, where families yep. estrange from uh, a member of the family who has come to terms with their own identity, and that identity is rejected by the rest of the family. Uh, and often that's not just between one person and another. Uh, it can be an entire family. Definitely. Um, I mean, there's a number of reasons that people are strange. But when I talk to uh, strangers, people who said that, you know, I was the person who instigated this, um, it's often for protection. It's often for their own safety. They will say, I had no choice in this. I needed to do this for my health or my well-being. Um, and I think that's a really important thing that people can do that in order to step back at times. And we do that in all other relationships as well. We use distancing to be able to step back and think about what's been going on and whether we want to move forward again and how we'll do that. I mean, estrangement is an incredibly painful um, experience to have, but ironically, it situates us in a place where we can think about and take stock of what's been going on. And it gives us the space to think about how do we go back if we do. Or how do we look after ourselves considering what's happened along that process? I, I was very interested. I, I uh, noticed several times in, in reading uh, things you've written, this idea of emotional and physical estrangement, mm. because I would have thought of the word as connoting the physical. You know, you don't yes. see the person. But um, I realize that there are many estrangements that I hear about in in my counseling room that are just the person, you're still seeing the person, Mm -hmm. but they're emotionally cut off. They're they're not engaging. (laughs) And uh, to think of that from the point of view of that being an estrangement was was interesting to me and kind of had a lot of juice in my thinking. I think it's really important to think about this because people also talk about estrangement as a process. It's not a one-off event. So estrangement often happens as a process of physical distancing and emotional distancing across decades. So I define two different, again, artificially, I define two different types of estrangements where the physical estrangement is, you know, we no longer speak to each other, we don't see each other. 
and those estrangements are often announced. So, you know, they're quite conflictory. Someone will say, I hate you. I never want to speak to you again. You're dead to me. And that's announced, you know, verbally through a letter, mm. maybe a phone call. And each party knows, you know, at some level what's happening here. Emotional estrangements um, are quite different in terms of often there's limited contact, but there will be some contact. And it's often perfunctory, it's obligatory contact. So, you know, I might go to mum and dad's on the weekend, um, you know, every Sunday for a roast dinner or whatever. But those contacts are experienced as stressful, they're strained, people describe walking on eggshells, and there might be this kind of false politeness um, or passive aggressiveness, you know, going on in these um, interactions. Um, and they're particularly defined, people say, about this avoidance of intimacy. So there's certain topics that won't ever be discussed. And of course, the topic of the tension between the two parties is never going to be discussed. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and, and, you know, people talk about we're terrified that if we actually get into this, if someone says this is uncomfortable, it's going to blow up and we're going to end up in a physical estrangement. So I'll sit with what I've got rather than risking the fact that I might lose the other person altogether. And what that seems to prevent in, in my experience is any kind of estimation of why it is we're mm -hmm. maintaining the relationship. Uh, it just becomes sort of that's what we do, as opposed to I family is important to me and I want to keep yes. this person in my life because even though we don't get along, I care about family, you know, or whatever it is that might motivate gets completely yes. lost in the shuffle of doing this thing you hate doing. And what's have really you, interesting is that? definitely, and and people are sort of bound by I suppose the internalized ideologies about well it's family we stay with them we we're loyal to them um, but in fact they're not really being all of the things that you know they're just staying around and they're going through the motions in order to avoid something that might be even more scary than the situation they're in at the moment and people often underestimate the tension um, and the experience, the losses that they are experiencing in having a relationship that is just going through the motions. So when those relationships then explode sometimes and some small thing happens to, you know, create a physical estrangement out of this emotional estrangement, people will often say, I feel incredible relief. I didn't mm -hmm. realise how taxing that emotional interaction was with that person across time. Yes, and um, I, it seems to me there are sort of uncomfortable cousins, relief and guilt. Mm -hmm. um, because even people that I'm thinking of right now in my head who uh, absolutely needed to at least step back. Yes. Uh, because of the harm that was happening to, to them. And I'm thinking of one particular client who was actually quite suicidal because she was in a very assaultive kinds of uh, kind of relationship with someone in her family. And it was absolutely self-preservation to step back. And yet the amount she had to work out about um, how wrong that felt to do at first. Um, I think that does prevent some people from taking that step. Definitely. We, 
have ideas about what we should be in a family. And even when we get to the point where we say, well, I cannot do this anymore. And often people are quite surprised at that, that they're able to do that. And they'll walk away and they'll feel considerable relief Mm -hmm. at the immediate relief of te- from the tension that's happening, there's still an amazing amount of guilt um, that concerns my role in the family, who I am in the family and what family means to me. And despite abuse, despite a number of things that might have happened, um, people will actually feel incredible guilt about walking away. What have I done? You know, this is a huge thing to have done. What have I actually done um, in saying I need this break? <laughs> Not to mention innocent bystanders like uh, younger siblings or, <laughs> you know, people you wouldn't necessarily choose to be estranged from, but they kind of go with the package. I, I do that, hear that a lot as well. Um, exactly. Who's, who's looking after my little brother or sister or whoever now that I'm not there? Definitely. And children, of course, inherit estrangements. That's another type of estrangement. Some children are estranged from their grandparents, their aunties, etc., before they're even born. So they don't know um, people in their family. And others are then in the mix of what happens, you know, when an estrangement is announced. And children can often feel a lot of guilt about that um, in terms of, you know, what was their contribution to it or also feeling why am I not worthy of the other Mm -hmm. person contacting me and not having that understanding. And, of course, the person, as you said, who leaves will also have, you know, that regret. They will often, in order to leave and to maintain their own privacy and their own boundaries, put in secondary uh, or protective estrangements around them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So they will cut off brothers, sisters, aunties. And I've certainly had people, you know, say, I love my brother, I wish I could be in contact with him, but he still speaks to mum. And so in order to keep my distance, in order to keep myself safe, I feel that I've had to cut him off as well. And so, you know, when we talk about an estrangement, it's generally not between two people. Whole families are affected. The intergenerational family is affected. It's You know, there's flow-on effects to different relationships and the trust um, between different members of the family. One thing that really, really stood out to me as well, which we'll get started on and probably not mm. finish b- before the break, but um, the amount of, um, it, it really rang as true to me uh, when you were talking about the amount of pain and anguish that people go through to get to that point, that it's that it's just never in my experience, I mean, maybe there's some person who casually estranges, but I've Mm. never seen it. Uh, It's usually um, they've tried everything or they've, you know, beat up against it for a long, long time. And um, I think that's a bit misunderstood. It is because it often creeps up on the person who is the estrangee. They will often not be seeing Um, the process that the person who eventually estranges, the estranger, goes through. And so when I talk to people who um, eventually made the decision to estrange, and quite often, you know, that wasn't a deliberate thing. It was something that happened in the moment when they were ready. But when they described the process leading up to that, they often talked about different stages where 
they started to see things differently. You know, we often hear that estrangement happens when people are adolescents or young adults. That's when they cut off. But it's often when there's an introduction of new information. And of course, a lot of that happens around the time that we go to college or that we get married or whatever. So people who are strange tend to have this experience of seeing their family through different eyes at different periods in their life. So the child who's always come home um, and mum and dad were working and mum and dad weren't there, as they get older might start to go to the next door neighbours and they might start to see that the mum in that family is there baking cookies and they start to evaluate their family in a different way um, and sometimes not in a good way. So we often as strangers will describe, you know, I, I didn't realise I, I had nothing else to go by, but I started to see my family different. You know, I went to university and people appreciated that I was musical or appreciated that I was such and such and my family had never appreciated that. Mm, yes. So they talk about that as one part of the process, but then they also talk about testing, um, you know, stepping back from the family in different ways, whether that's conscious or not, but moving back from the family and going, you know what, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to, I won't come home for Christmas this year or whatever. So testing their capacity just to actually be without the other person. To, to see who they are in that context without mm. that other person in a way. Mm. Let's take our yeah. break and then come back to that. And listeners, sure. you can find me or, or my guest, Kylie Eglias, so sorry, um, by going to my Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can also find my website and social media through that link as well. Be back soon. <laughs> Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you are you finding your frequency it can be described as that space between failure and success it's the future of digital media it's finding your voice it's engaging topics content and ideas Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects it's about making the mistakes taking the chances summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try decide to learn decide that you have something to say and find your frequency live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Hello, welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Kylie Aglias, the author of Family Estrangement, A Matter of Perspective. And uh, we were talking about what, for many people, Kylie, is is a pretty long process of getting to the point where they um, do... uh, break off contact Mm. and uh, that seems so important to me that um that we share an understanding that people most people even in very very dire kinds of circumstance do not take that act lightly no Uh, maybe because we are so so programmed socialized to uh, believe we should always stick with family, blood is thicker than water, all of that. But are there other components to that? Do you feel that uh, you were mentioning that people often get a little bit of distance and then realize that something that just felt like life is normal actually wasn't. But are there other things that contribute to people um, moving in the direction of this is not tolerable for me? I think they come, pe- most people will come to a place after they've done and gone through these sort of distancing activities, you know, where they've mo- removed themselves from the family and come back in and put things in place. When they've tested a number of things um, in order to make this different, they'll often come to a spot where they go, you know what, I can do this by myself. And so while estrangees often see I was estranged because we had a tiny little blue over something that happened on Christmas Day, and that will be their experience. What's been happening for the estranger is a long process of thinking and changing and getting to a point where they go, my life would be better. I would be better. Or, in fact, I have no choice but, you know, to do this for my health and well-being. And quite often, you know, it won't be a letter, it won't be a decision that I'm doing that today, but it will be something that happens in the moment and the person will just say, I'm out of here, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm not going to be a part of your life. Um, and, and that can be really difficult often for estrangees who are left in a really awful position, often not knowing, um, you know, what was the reason or, or looking intimately at that last moment or those last weeks or whatever with the person and not really understanding that this has been a process that's happened maybe across years or decades. And also there may not, part of the trouble that I would see is there may not be a shared uh, perception of the relationship. Uh, I'm thinking of a a very close friend whose son actually thought she had done something she hadn't done and estranged from her but what could she do because if she if she tried to say she hadn't done it it would just seem defensive she was smart enough to know that wasn't wasn't going to work and so she was left kind of with this incredible depth of misunderstanding that um 
that was going on between them that she had no power at all to address. And I think we particularly see that when there's um, power differentials in relationships as well. I mean, many estrangements are built around family secrets and around false beliefs. Um, and, and the keeping of those is very important to, for keeping, you know, family unity. And I've certainly spoken to a number of women who said that, you know, they tried to protect their children from domestic violence and keep them from knowing what was going on in the home. Mm -hmm. um, and those children later on, um, as adolescents or adults, um, estranged them. And it was almost as if in trying to hide the secret about what was happening in their family, they not only you know, were attempting to protect the children, but they protected the perpetrator. And so children were only hearing the voice of one person, only hearing the voice of the, the person who was um, perpetrating domestic violence. So very hard later on when the child says, I want nothing to do with you, you know, you're lazy, you're horrible, you've done all these cruel things to my dad, to defend themselves in that situation and almost felt guilty that they'd set this up by, you know, part of this secret. So in those situations, it's really difficult. Do we make a decision about disclosing and be accused of lying or, you know, of being discredited in the family? Um, and I think in those situations where I have seen that a, a difference can be made is when that information or that different narrative is delivered by a third party, by a counsellor, by a pastor, you know, a trusted friend. And when that information or that news story is delivered incrementally, people are probably more receptive to understanding it. I'm thinking about this particular friend and I, there is now contact. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little tenuous, but, the, you know, uh, and to me, the thing that she most did was, was not try to correct the story. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she tried to remain open to the idea that her her son might come to see it differently, but and she didn't. She didn't really try to change it. Interestingly, um, and it must have been very tempting. I was actually kind of impressed. <laughs> you know, I, it's very impressive, and um, and would take a lot to do that. But I think if that works for someone, then you know, then that's. And in particular, if you can gain that person back and take time for that story to emerge or for the other person to become curious, then that's that's a wonderful way of doing it. Maybe also there's something there about actually not being the thing that you're being accused of being. <laughs> you know, she there was no resemblance between what he was saying she'd done and the way she was acting. Yes. Look, they were remarkably different. And it's really important, I think, I mean, one of the things I noticed, um, one of the things that I thought, this really maintains estrangement, is often estrangees um, honour the intent over the experience of the estranger. So, you know, they will say, but I was doing everything I could, and they were. I was doing everything I could for my child at the time. I was doing the very best that I could do. Yes. And that's... Fair enough, that's important. But when the child's saying to you, I'm hurt, or telling a different story and saying, you know, but for me it was this way, we really have to not get caught in the details or the truth of what the child or the other person is saying to us. But we have to go, okay, so let's actually focus on the hurt. 
despite my best intentions, the other person was hurt. And mm. when we can move away from those details, and it sounds very much like your friend was able to do that, let's move away from the truth of this story. Let's focus on the fact that the other person was hurt and maybe a different story will emerge, but let's just deal with the hurt at this point and acknowledge it. That's a really good way to go. Yeah, you're you're making me think of one of my children. She used to bump into us a lot, and um, and then wouldn't want to say she was sorry because she didn't mean to do it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, you know we would always say, "But we're hurt. You can care about that. Be yes. sorry that we're hurt. <laughs> you know, don't worry about whether you meant to do it or not." She's now twenty three, and she definitely did absorb that message but people get caught up in that but but I didn't mean to or um that wasn't my intention a whole bunch of of uh kind of uh throwing whatever the person is feeling back at them in a way yes yes Uh, do do you feel that's a big factor with estrangement that that you're just not registered as uh having a real experience or Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a component of it. But there's two sides to that. You know, often with the strangers, they talk to me about the other person knows what they've done wrong. The other person should know what they've done wrong. And if they don't know, then I'm not telling them. And so there's also that power in estrangement and of estranging another person that we can hold. Um, You know, I'm not going to tell you what you did wrong. And of course, you should just figure that out. (laughs) You should. And often people will send letters, you know, um, their estrangement letter is, you know, a phenomenal thing. But often strangers will send a list of things that were done to them. And they'll write down, you did this and you did this and you did this. But they're actually not able to go to the hurt. And so they're not able to describe what the hurt was that resulted from that and how that made them feel in a family. And so people will often receive this letter going, yep, I did, yeah, I did, but I really don't understand. There's a list of my um, crimes, but they really still from that list will not understand the hurt that was caused or, you know, what that hurt was actually about. Well, and that has to do with, uh, of course, the tendency of someone's angry to defend instead of listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's a general, <laughs> a general tendency, isn't it? Uh, that I certainly encounter in yeah. many situations that don't involve estrangement. I was I was thinking about this from the point of view of uh, you know my grief lens. That uh, there are two things that to me differentiate this kind of loss that I'd like us to talk about. Mm. One one is that it's not permanent. Even if it is permanent, you don't know that it is. Exactly. And, and so it's kind of looming as a will we ever get back together. Yep. Um, Definitely. At least for one person, maybe for both. And often the other is both. that often for both. And then the other is that it involves betrayal. And uh, for myself, anyway, the losses I've had that were betrayal type of losses boy, they're, they're much harder for me to um, respond to emotionally. Yes, uh, yes. And, you know, they, they linger in a different kind of way. Um, 
even than death losses, because in that case, there's really no betrayal except by nature. Mm, <laughs> you mm. know, um, it just, a, a body stopped working. And yes. I, I, I don't experience that as a betrayal in the same way. So I wonder what, what you thought about those two aspects of sure. estrangement. So estrangement is very difficult because it's very difficult to make sense of. Um, it's ambiguous because the person often is physically gone, but of course they're psychologically present in our minds, um, in our memories. They are psychologically, they're present at Christmas and birthdays and all of those things. Um, we might see them in the supermarket, you know. Um, so while we can see them, we can't touch them, they're untouchable. Um, and, you know, today also with um, media, with Facebook, with all of those kind of accesses that we have to people, we can see them. We can trace people across time. It's not like an estrangement in the past where we only had the photo of the person. So, you know, estrangement is very difficult to make sense of. A person can come back at any time. Um, and for and that in itself means that it's very difficult to grieve. Do we go ahead and grieve? And if we do, if we somehow say, you know, we're letting go or whatever, what does that mean? Um, there's also a lot of social aspects to that because people will often tell us that this is a temporary condition. So family members, society will often dismiss or minimise the experience of the person who is estranged and they'll say to them, you know, oh, look, they'll be back, you know, don't, don't worry about it, this will change, this will shift, give them time. And even professionals will say that to people. Yes. You know, yes. when your kids grow up, they'll come back to you. And so they're not honouring what's actually happening in that moment. Um and because there's no rituals around family estrangement, you know, there's no funeral last rites. Um, it, it's really a disenfranchised loss at a number of levels. People aren't recognised in their grief um, at this point. And, and so they really have a difficult time in working out where do I stand in this, you know, and if I say this is over, am I betraying the other person? Will they never come back? Um, or... Is it just easier just to like keep going and, and keep my hope up and and um, at the same time, you know, not really grieve for what um, has happened in that moment um, of that relationship breakdown? Absolutely. And also, uh, at least for myself, um, if I experience something like that, someone refusing to relate, basically, hmm. I have to, uh, when I've been in that situation one notable time in my life, I had to recalibrate my whole relationship to um, the person I lost. And then when she was returned to me, um, I was very confused, actually, <laughs> emotionally confused, because there's some way over time you adjust to the lack of contact. Yes. Yes. Um, and I really had, uh, just so the, the listeners are not confused, <laughs> mm. um, I, uh, a partner of mine estranged my child from me. 
So when she came back, there was nothing wrong between us. Nothing had happened between us except for a huge passage of time in which we were not, uh, I wasn't able to parent her, you know, and and I had adjusted. It was it was a very long period of time. I had sort of had to adjust to that because I didn't have power over it. And I'm the transformation through loss voice. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. so I, I had done that. It took some years to reincorporate her presence in my life. Definitely. Her physical and, you know, to, to reintegrate that. So let's pick back up on that when we come back from the break. And uh, listeners, you can go to either the Good Grief page at Voice America or my website, weatheringgrief.com, to get in touch with me or my guest, Kylie Iglias. Back after the break. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Kylie Aglias, a researcher who spent about 10 years researching family estrangements and wrote a book about that. And um, we were we were talking a bit about the aspect of betrayal uh, in estrangements that's kind of missing from um, many other kinds of loss, like a death loss, for instance. Um and that leads us to kind of the reasons 
maybe that people, uh, you know, what what betrayals lead in that direction too? Of course. And betrayal is, you know, there are many different sorts of betrayals and, and betrayal is defined in many different ways. Um, you know, this relationship breakdowns like any other. It's, it's, you know, there's no one cause, but we can certainly look at patterns. And when I was doing the research with people, I often found that families were very vulnerable at the time of estrangement, that they'd experienced a number of stresses. So there's a number of things that can contribute to misunderstandings and betrayals, etc., like violence, divorce, mental health issues, um, overwork, illness. And even bringing new, new people into the system. So, you know, a new son or daughter-in-law coming in at a stressful time can bring new ideas and challenges to families. Absolutely. So when there's multiple stresses at any time, um, you know, everyone's needs can't be met or accommodated often. Um you know, sometimes when the family feels under threat, um, they might need to distance themselves from a certain person in order to feel, you know, safe. That's their perception at that time. And and other times people may feel betrayed or they may feel that they've been left out or neglected by the family. And if that goes on for a long period of time, then they will go, well, you know, either I'm going to estrange to assert my own importance, you know, to say, hello, come back to me or as a way of, you know, leaving the pain. So, um, you know, perceptions in families that one person's being treated better than the other is often a sign of betrayal. And often those issues um, we'll all be aware of happen around deaths and inheritances and those kind of things. So a number of family stresses can culminate um, and often sort of um, are facilitated by communication or communication difficulties but um, those things can all come together in very different and nuanced ways um, that feel like and are perceived as betrayal um, or devaluation. You know I also just want to put in here that as therapists uh, I'm a I'm a you know private practice therapist Mm. working with people that somebody um in pain, coming to work on what is painful in their lives and trying to make their life work better for them, that can be a catalyzing event, Uh, (laughs) you know, because if you really um, pay attention to that, you might need a break from the people who appear to be instigating that or catalyzing your pain experience. Um. Not to mention, I also work with cancer. Illness is often a catalyzing event, you know, a sort of feeling of life is too short to be exposing myself to this kind of behavior or whatever it might be. So I just want to throw in that things that are going in the direction of health can all be also be catalyzers of what we're talking about. People definitely spoke to me about this, you know, ironically, estrangement gives us the space and often the impetus to look within, you know, to develop, to grow. Um, And sometimes estrangement, you know, forces us to move forward in ways that we would never have imagined. Um, The people that I spoke to never said that they were over estrangement, they'd moved past or they'd healed it from estrangement. They often talked, and it was interesting how many framed it as, I've learnt to live with estrangement or I've adjusted Mm -hmm. Um, to estrangement Um, and many of them said you know this has been one of the most significant learning points in my life Um, 
I'm a better person, I'm a more balanced person, I know who I am. This has really made me evaluate what my values are, what's important to me. Um, in terms of who I am, in terms of who I am within the family. So, yes, it, it, it's, it can be an incredibly transformative experience. And now we're kind of moving into talking about the idea which uh, fits for me so much of post-traumatic growth that the, mm. the very thing that is tra- traumatic, um, it doesn't stop being traumatic, but it also may lead to growth. And maybe this is a uh, an example of that that's particularly um, intense because you are stepping away potentially. At least someone in the situation believes they're stepping away from something harmful. They're choosing themselves. Yes. And, and even so- the person who didn't choose that is often going... I've been affected by a really significant event. That means I have to take care of myself in this. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That is very much true of the friend I mentioned, uh, that she um, uh, reinvigorated her spiritual practice. She started doing a lot of things to take care of herself, Mm -hmm. um, to bear the weight, really, of the loss. And, and the loss is often around a loss of trust in self. You know, there's a, people speak about an incredible loss of trust in others. If my family can do this to me, you know, then what else can be done to me by people outside of my family? So in experiencing estrangement, people often need to gain their own trust and, and to start to look back at their own um at the, at the self, they need to start to think about, do I trust my own instincts? And to be able to refine those um, in terms to, you know, enable to, for them to move forward. Um, when I spoke to people about, you know, how they learned to live again, and those people who said, I am, you know, this has been a horrible experience, but I've gained from this. They often talked about the fact that they were able to acknowledge and grieve the loss, whereas others were still really struggling with that process. So, you know, really taking the time to sit with the estrangement loss was very important um, for people and to have that acknowledged. And I suppose in a way we're doing that today, we're talking about something that people often find very hard to talk about and that they hide from others. So when people said, you know what, I actually have acknowledged this, I've put a ritual in place, you know, when I go to church, I light a candle. Um, for the, the, the person who is lost, you know, I've shifted my relationship. I've changed that with that person. Um, I still respect them. I still think about them, but I don't interfere with their life anymore. Um, and I've also been able to talk about that. I actually name it is a very important way of acknowledging this loss because we often use euphor- euphemisms. Um, you know, we often say, oh, you know, he doesn't contact me much or, you know, he's the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. We don't often say, people don't often say, I'm estranged, I don't speak to that person. And so right. many of the people I spoke to found that very empowering because it would start a conversation with others and often when that conversation was started, um, they would find out that, yes, other people are experiencing similar things. 
Well, that's the thing about grief, that if you if you follow the trail of grief, uh, you do eventually find a kind of a universal experience. Uh, I, I noticed in a lot of things you've written, just the recognition that most people, many people, let's say, have mm. estrangements of one sort or another, that if you really uh, think about it, um, it's a very, very common experience, but the mm-hmm. people that are in the middle of it think it's just them. What was very interesting when I first called for participants for my study was I had so many calls, I didn't know what to do with them. I, I couldn't take all the calls. I was overwhelmed. And this was just by speaking on a local radio station. So people would ring me and they would say to me, look, love, I'm going to do this interview with you because I know you're going to get no one else, you know. And mm. people honestly thought that they were the only person who was experiencing this. And when I sat with people and often they would say, you know, I'm the only person in my family who's estranged and we would do a genogram and throughout the generations there were different estrangements. There's people that we don't talk to. You know, Aunty Sue who's the black sheep of the family. Well, no one speaks to her. You know, it was often much more common than people had started to, you know, had realised um, in their lives. And so just that speaking about estrangement is, is a really important part of the process as is investigating, you know, the family and and where this came from through the generations. Absolutely. You know, I was um, I was thinking about the times uh, you you know the idea of deathbed reconciliations? Mhm. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> I was thinking of all the times that um, that when uh, a client has uh, you know, let's say they had been rejected by somebody in the family and then the person dies and they're terribly upset. Yes. Part of it is this idea inside that until they're actually gone, there's still some chance. Yes. And um, so when we're talking about post-traumatic growth, it's growth within a lot of uncertainty isn't it? There's something quite certain about a death. There you is. know, the person is dead. You still have a relationship, of course, but they're not going to ring you up. <laughs> there is always this not knowing. And as I said, the capacity to, um, to be able to check out the other person, to be able to actually see them growing and living, you know, we're still able to do that. So um, as strangers often talk about having to place things um, boundaries around and maintaining the estrangement that can be quite stressful, you know. And and other people speak about the deathbed experience. Um, certainly, in the three studies that I've done, um, the deathbed experience comes up a lot. Um, older people often expect um, that the person will return at end of life. Um, that the mm-hmm. estranged, whether that person was chose the estrangement or not, and many of them in having sort of um, motility-related experiences in later life. So, for example, you know, the husband being critically ill or whatever come to be re-traumatised because the, the person doesn't come back, the estranger or the estrangee doesn't come back at those times. Um, 
And I certainly spoke to strangers who said, you know, I would never go back. Um, and they'd made quite definite sort of decisions that I would not go back to the deathbed. But then I spoke to others who didn't. And the trauma that that then, um, you know, set about because they were really shocked at the extent um, of the um, reaction that they'd had to losing that person. So, mm -hmm. you know, these are things that really need to be thought about um, in that in that period of growing. You know, what what will this be like? And anticipating um, what that experience might be if the person comes back or doesn't. Yeah, and and you know, working working in the field of end of life uh, mm. a lot. Um, that is a very different time that, yes. you know, just a little ways pre-death, uh, a, a lot tends to strip away. Um, so I can imagine that people could, in fact, sometimes have an extremely different experience with the person they needed to step away from or who stepped away from them yes. in that particular type of moment. Um, yes. I, you know, that, that would be a, a amazing thing to take a look at in another study, huh? <laughs> Just well, those kinds of experiences yeah. uh, because they yeah. can be so, um, so profound because of the dropping away workers. of defenses. Yeah. Uh, talking to social workers who were in that process and, you know, palliative care social workers, I did a study. And they were speaking about, you know, the variety of experiences. For some people at end of life, they don't want that reunification. They don't want the reconciliation, but they do want to let go of some of that. And they do want to talk about to the social worker what this has been like. And for others, it's incredibly important. And that can be a really successful um, moment in time. And, you know, I think that really has to be guided and that has to be supported by people in making sure that that isn't a time where, you know, old things are hashed, but rather this is just a time of coming together and, and that can be done very, very well. Well, what I guess I want to conclude from the whole, our, our whole conversation today is that, um, one, that this is just such a common experience and that, that uh, we all can look about, look at that in our own lives and in the lives around us, that it really is, affecting people maybe even more particularly because we are geographically freer people mm. leave geographic locations at least in the u.s they do but also that um there is a way to love yourself through the experience that's what i'm taking from all of this and Definitely. Uh, i i really want to thank you for for being with me i think it will i think people will um have a window to themselves through through what you're what you're studying and I really appreciate you spending the time with me thank you and you know finally I just want to say we've we've had an hour and often when I do workshops it'll be six hours and we still don't get everything um, through everything so you know there's a high probability that we've made some generalizations today that you know won't honor the experiences of everyone listening but I hope Absolutely. that we've you know, started yeah, a it, conversation. At least an hour is not 10 minutes, as is the usual. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to thank you again. And, and listeners, you. if you want to be in touch with me or my guest, just go to the Good Grief page at Voice America. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.